I'm CJ. And this is Harry Potter Movie Minutes. The podcast where two friends break down the movies of the wizarding world in excruciating detail and obnoxious commentary. (laughs) Thanks for listening. All right, hello. Hey, what's up? I'm up. You're up, we're up, we're all up, and we are not alone. Not alone. What's up, guys? How are you doing? Hi, buddy. You just can't stay away from us. We're so sorry. I mean, I, I don't want to see you suffer alone. <laughs> <laughs> you picked a good chunk. I was proud of you. I was like, okay, this was a good one. To, this was a good one to pick, actually. I thought. Yeah, it's a, a quick turnaround since usually I come in towards the back half, and uh, here I am right at the front. Yeah, right as things are getting going. Um, well, for any new listeners, uh, joining us today is my cousin Brock. Uh, he is another a- a expert on the subject. Um, and we're just going to dive right into it. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. <laughs> that was an awesome, enthusiastic response. I love you both. Here we go. <laughs> we begin this week on the eve of Bill and Fleur's wedding. Uh, there is an armed guard kind of, I guess, uh, posted around the marquee that I think it's members of the order. Not really clear. We don't recognize any, but anybody, but uh, Remus is kind of uh, weaving in and out of them uh, who is uh, an anxious individual. Uh, so I guess he's the only one who's worried about uh, making sure that well, nobody dies tonight. And this answered our question. You said it was weird how we were talked about how it was weird that Scrimgeour could just stroll up to the Weasley's burrow. Yeah. That there were no protections. This kind of answered that question for me. It's like, oh, so they did have protection outside of the wedding. They thought about one yeah. thing. Or like showing us the movie viewers that they were thinking of protection, at least at this point. I know that we talked about this last week. I, it does still just feel like a really big plot hole for me. This whole idea that they're hosting a wedding at their home while also, you know, aiding and abetting the government's biggest criminal at the moment. <laughs> Correct. Well, I think he's a criminal after tonight. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. So Harry's walking up to the wedding. There's a snitch just floating alongside him. It's his little buddy now. So yeah, we we join Harry as he's entering the tent here as himself instead of as Barry as he is in the book. Um, and he's got his new slash old snitch that was left to him by Dumbledore uh, hovering along over his shoulder like his little parrot friend. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, why are we leaving this loose? Like, why are we leaving this? Just like, it's kind of valuable. Yeah, just floating around. I, I, I'm less on the valuable thing. I'm more on the like a private thing. What do you mean? Like, this is mine. Like, I don't know. I, I just want more information on the rules that dictate where snitches go, because it, to me, it's almost a little bit of a callback to uh, his time in the Pensieve when he sees his dad playing with the snitch. And he reaches out and catches it. And they say, oh, yeah, he did that all the time. And it's like, OK, but sometimes don't they just decide to fly 100 yards away? That's then what do you thing. do? Right. What if it doesn't come hovering right next to your shoulder? Then what? Where is it? Like I said, I feel like it's like having a pet and then just letting that pet roam around. Like, don't you know where it is? <laughs> that makes me nervous. I don't know. It's just a weird moment for me. Yeah. Does the flesh memory somehow give them some form of loyalty so that they're not like... Know. Maybe it does. Interesting. Hmm. Huh. Anyway. The world may never know. So inside, 
Bill and Fleur are dancing. There are butterflies fluttering about. The champagne glasses are refilling themselves. It's glorious. There's an adorable little wedding. Fleur is beautiful. The dress is giving serious like Hunger Games slash Girl on Fire vibes. That's what it was. It was that. It was absolutely that. (laughs) I don't like the guy who plays Bill. I don't like that actor. Wow, we met him like five minutes ago. I've met him in other movies and I don't care for him. I just don't. And so he was like dancing. I was like, oh, what a great moment. I even flipped back. I was like, I want to see her dress again. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to flip back. He's so stiff dancing with her. I'm like, yeah, I don't like you. I'm sorry. I think he's stiff in the in last week's bit too. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a stiff actor. He sucks. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm sorry if you listen to this. I just I don't Jesus. enjoy you. Xenophilius should not be a stiff dancer, in my opinion. Oh my he, god. His dancing little bit too is supposed to be cute and funny. I have feelings about him when we get to him. So uh, getting there. Um, everybody's merry and we see several familiar faces, including Madame Maxine, uh, mm. Luna and, and the new character they're like shoving into our face, uh, Literally. Alpheus Doge. Oh, I thought you were going to say Xenophilius because he's so close talking to Harry. <laughs> oh no, I do have a, a, a bit about that in a second, but this is the third time now in like what Less 20 than... yeah, minutes that we've seen this man. <laughs> And we're like, who the fuck are you sitting alone at a table pretentiously drinking champagne? Anyway. So- I just wanted I just wanted to say that Hagrid is hoping Madame Maxine will eat something else out of his beard. Oh no. Grossa. <laughs> Grossa. Is that why he's looking at her so anxious? Yes. Just yep. still chilling there. Yeah. Yep, yep. I I I I seeded this beard for you this morning, Maxine. <laughs> Good lord. So on his way over to Doge, Harry is interrupted by Luna. She introduces him to her father, Xenophilius, um, who is an awkward and strange character. We would expect nothing less from Luna's father, I think. During a moment of, let's say, egregious personal space violation, um, Xenophilius expresses his support for Harry uh, and his former support for Dumbledore. In that moment, Harry notices a peculiar symbol on a chain around Xenophilius. Can't help but notice it. Right, because they are literally like pushed together. Now, I did my best to describe this symbol. Um, I'm going to call it a bisected equilateral triangle enveloping a circle. Perfect. There you go. I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another terrible thing I thought. I'm like, I just, Xenophilius is all excited about her getting bit by a garden gnome, whatever. I'm like, he's also somebody that probably doesn't wear deodorant. He probably doesn't oh, believe in it. Fully an anti vaxxer. Thank you. So I'm just I'm picturing poor Harry is like, not only like close talking to this poor man who's got his chest shoved into Harry's face. I'm like, and he smells. I just, I know he smells. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, he looks, he looks like he smells. Thank um, you. We're all from the same general area of the Midwest. We can all spot that man at the bar. That's like, you haven't seen a shower anytime recently. <laughs> you um, maybe throw some Old Spice over that, but that's about it. Oh, we love Old Spice. 
Anyway, so most everyone knows what the symbol is at this point, but for now, we're not going to speak about it because we don't learn about it for a while. But we will flag it for its importance in that moment. So uh, Luna uh, shepherds her father away. Um, her, <laughs> her line here is actually really fantastic. It's one of my favorite lines in the entire series. She says something like, um, Harry doesn't want to talk to us right now. He's just being polite. And God damn it, more people need this level of awareness. <laughs> like, especially in the Midwest, to be able to say that, like, say that and say that confidently and be like, oh, this person doesn't really want to talk to me. Uh, they're just being polite. Oh my God. And she says it so gently, too. Listen, Daddy, he doesn't want to talk to us. It's okay. Let's go. That's <laughs> yeah, brilliant. It's perfect. It's She's so glorious. Sweet. I adore her. I think that more than anything, this experiment has revealed that she's my favorite character i'm reading um six right now and it was something about she said i noticed um your friend ron wasn't very kind to um her date or whatever at the ball or something and harry goes here she goes again with her uncomfortable truth i'm like yeah she's <laughs> she's not gonna make you feel soft and comfy she's just telling you how it is i love her but i thought xenophilius actually was perfectly cast i was like i can now i, I buy this weird kind of oddball actor as this character that's fine sure we were talking about bill nighy as scrimjower no, I, <laughs> I don't love it i don't love it it's such a throwaway part but it just didn't fit like i don't know uh not what i was expecting i would have actually taken bill nighy as xenophilius that's fine. He can be, he's a wacky yeah, kind of actually, actor. Yeah, I could I see that. that. That'd be fine. I just don't think as the new minister of magic who's supposed to look more authoritative, I'm like, mm, this guy? No. I mean, the, I, the open, the very open worked for me when he's glaring into the camera. I realize you guys have d discussed this already and shared your thoughts on whether you liked it or not, but uh, he, uh, he projected strength to me. Oh, it worked for you. <laughs> no, it was less about strength for me. It was like uh, the aesthetic. I was expecting this like burly man with this aggressive mane and like bushy beard that was like, I don't know, very not him. It even says in the book he has glasses. I'm like, I don't know, throw some glasses on him. Make him look, I said he kind of looked like a little old woman. <laughs> He's got like I feel like at this point we have just completely uh, decided to uh, abandon book descriptions because like don't make me go back into my gripe with Imelda Staunton um, because I adore Imelda Staunton I think I worship the ground that she walks on but she makes no sense as Umbridge she's but too anyway. pretty we decided yeah. she's way too pretty she's supposed to look like a fucking toad mm -hmm. anyway so Harry makes his way over to Doge and asks him about the eulogy that he wrote in the Daily Prophet. Um, they are quickly interrupted by Ron's Aunt Muriel, who I don't think we get a proper introduction to. It's just kind of one of those, like, we know who she is. Correct. Finally note about her is I said, she's a security guard from Wayne's World. Oh my Isn't God. That... Why do you know every actor from every movie that's ever happened? <laughs> no, I'm saying she's like, it was, it was played by Chris Farley. 
And the joke was that security guard was very well informed and provided a lot of helpful information. Like she kind of comes into this oh, conversation yeah. and she just provides a lot of like background story, like background information. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's just comparable to that character. She's not actually. She's definitely a, uh, yeah. Can you tell I've never seen Wayne's World? Because uh, I didn't get that. Um, it's a she, deep pull. It's a deep pull. He's only in the movie for like uh, two minutes, but he provides oh a God. bunch of information for them to. <laughs> know where alice cooper is anyway i would say that muriel is as cruel as i expected but again to loop back into what we were just talking about not visually in line with my expectations um i think i was imagining someone like an older marge from earlier in the series uh both in appearance and demeanor like i she has a line in this there's a line in the book that makes me crack up every time I read it. That's something like, give me your chair. I'm 107. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is what I'm looking for. This woman is like as gossipy as Muriel is supposed to be. um, And clearly like uh, entertained by this scandal that she thinks that she has, but I don't know. What did you guys think? I didn't mind her. She was as cruel as I thought she was going to be. But she is a very much an exposition dump. <laughs> like, did you I, know Dumbledore at all? I'm like, it freaks me out when we use the exact same words. And exposition dump is that the, <laughs> that exact phrase is in my next note. Wow. Anyway, this happened. Yes. So I would say that uh, we we already alluded to the fact that uh, Harry is not in disguise here, and the way that he is in the books with the polyjuice potion, and it's her line honestly boy did you even know the man at all um i thought that was important because in the book you you get insight into harry's thoughts when he's in disguise and in the movie you don't have that um opportunity so you needed somebody to sort of clarify how this is hitting harry to find out these secrets and i actually thought that uh it was a well-acted moment by Daniel Radcliffe when he, when she delivers that line to him and he's like, God, did I know this man at all? Um, so I, I liked that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to catch up to you guys a little bit. Uh, so we get this exposition dump as Muriel brings up several things from Dumbledore's past, all to which Harry is ignorant. Uh, there's Dumbledore's brother. Uh, there's Bethilda Bagshot being close to the Dumbledore family, all of them living in Godric's Hollow, Dumbledore's father going to Azkaban for killing three muggles. This whole like uh, trolley of baggage uh, that uh, Harry is completely ignorant to. And like, I, I love that you highlighted that specific line because I actually did too, uh, Brock. I said like this line that honestly, my boy, are you sure you knew him at all? That is so real. And it is, it's it's a little heartbreaking, but uh, when you think about it, it really does make sense. Like when you're a teenager, you do think that adults exist completely within whatever box they fit into in your mind. Um, Even beyond that, even into college, I remember seeing Andrea, I don't know if you ever had the pleasure, but I remember seeing Dr. Lovejoy, who was the head of our department. That is a real name and you can keep (laughs) it in. I don't care anymore. Uh, uh, (laughs) Glorious man, glorious teacher. I studied with him privately on multiple occasions. He's an incredible human being and a a brilliant musician. Uh, 
but I remember seeing him at the grocery store over the summer in like a Hawaiian t-shirt and cargo shorts. And I was like, sir, <laughs> no, you only wear ties. You do not exist outside of the PAC and you definitely do not have legs. Like I did not need to see that. So it was like when Harry wondered what Dumbledore did over the summer. Yes. Dumbledore in a Hawaiian shirt with sunblock on his nose. That is very much what I experienced. Uh, and and, and I, I think that's just really characteristic. Even in, um, there's that quote in Mean Girls that uh, where Janice is like, oh, I love seeing teachers outside of school. It's like seeing a dog walk on its hind legs because in your little underdeveloped brain, you have siloed all of these things. And the idea that a teacher exists outside of a building where you go to learn is so foreign to you. Uh, and then you get to college and you meet any education major and you're like, oh my God, these people are a fucking mess. Like all of those movie days that I had in elementary school, it was because the fucking teacher was hung over. I shit. just saw that. I mean, that's like <laughs> if one of these rolled into your classroom, guess what? Your teacher was hung over. Like, yes. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, no, it, it really is interesting just because as as both the reader of the books and as a watcher of the movies, I remember it, it hit me in somewhat of a similar way to it's hitting Harry because all you know about Dumbledore is what Harry knows about Dumbledore. So you think like, man, this is a beloved character at the end of the last movie or book. We, we saw him die. It was crushing. Oh, we, 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 we feel so attached to him. And then it's like, but wait, we, we don't know anything about him. Right. Yeah, I always had this like fantasy that She Who Must Not Be Named would actually write that Rita Skeeter book, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. Because um, I want to I want to read his backstory. I think that we all kind of hoped that we would get a proper backstory for him out of the uh, Fantastic Beasts series, but whew, we won't talk about that. That opportunity came and went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, woof. Uh, so outside of the tent, off in the distance, this ball of light appears and approaches. Uh, it breaches the tent and hovers ominously as Arthur steps forward to receive the message. Fun fact about this, this method of sending message by Patronus. Um, also, side note from my side note, why do the films hate corporeal Patronuses so much? Anyway, um, was <laughs> invented by Dumbledore himself. Oh, cool. Um, R.I.P. old man. Anyway, uh, so Kingsley's voice comes from this uh, glowing orb that is also like flashing a scene from the mili- uh, from the ministry. Uh, his voice speaks and informs the crowd that the shit hath hitteth the fan. <laughs> the ministry has fallen. Scrimgeour is dead. Uh, basically, get the fuck out now. My only thing I didn't think about this time, or I thought about it for the first time this time, wh- is Kingsley okay? <laughs> like, it just, it's a, they are coming. They are coming. And he's very quiet. I'm like, wait, where is he? Is he okay? <laughs> like, we never see him again, do we? Or do we see him at the battle? Uh, we definitely see him at the battle. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, so okay. Question here is like, isn't he supposed to be guarding the Muggle, Muggle Prime Minister? minister? Uh, so... He's pulling double duty. I don't know. I don't know when the message came I... from him. Duty. I was I was very frustrated with the the whole Patronus that wasn't corporeal um, that uh, the voice which he starts out speaking robotically and then like you said goes into a whisper 
Um, I don't understand why it should just be like a recording, you know, it should just be however, whatever inflections he used or what came out. Um, and I, I find it hard to believe that first he was like, oh, I better be very matter of fact. And then I'm going to whisper for dramatic effect. It's a talk to Patronus. It's like a talk to <laughs> Like, See, wouldn't no you think it would be a little bit more frantic? Like, Oh, I would be. The ministry is falling. <laughs> Scripture is fucking dead. Guys, go, go. <laughs> yeah, that's more in line of of the message that I would be sending to a large group of people who are definitely the target of the next attack. Because like you're creating terror and horror no matter what you say or how you say it. So just <laughs> get the message out. It was very slow too. The ministry has fallen. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, like within <laughs> what three seconds of the message ending, they it's- show up right it's yeah. an elevator voice <laughs> third floor <laughs> shit has hit the fan <laughs> yeah maybe get uh maybe don't bury the lead there like maybe start with get the fuck out yep here's the details if you have time to listen so this understandably sends the crowd into a panic people start disapparating as fireballs are flooding the tent uh, the trio find one another as this little battle breaks out and they disapparate into London's West End uh, where they quickly have to dodge a double-decker bus. They make their way through the crowd and into an alley and Hermione starts pulling a change of clothes out of her little Mary Poppins bag that we saw her leave her parents' house with. So she has been ready to go. Uh, the boys are clueless as usual, uh, giving credence to uh, Ron's statement uh, in a previous episode where he's like, we wouldn't last, whatever, a week without her. It's like, yeah, you you really wouldn't. She literally just clothed you. <laughs> and got you out of there. Like, yeah. Harry was all going to go to help Ginny. And Lupin's like, fuck no, go. And Hermione's like, Hermione asked no questions. She just grabbed them, grabbed them, went. I'm like, yeah, she she's the one that's always thinking clearly. So I think that I, we're going to, I'm going to bitch about it in a minute, but her saying the whole, it's your birthday. I'm like, why do we always dumb her down? Like, why can't we just let her? We'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry. I um, <clears throat> I'll be honest with you guys. That's this is the reason that I I wanted to do this junk. I just think oh. it's such a nice moment for Hermione, and it's it's one of her one of her underrated strengths as a character in the books in the movies. Um, just like you said, she she's ready. She's thinking ahead. She's hyper logical. It, and I think it's easy to see somebody who is so book smart and think they're just book smart, but this is a, a street start smart moment. She is, she's ready, you know, stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. Um, <laughs> and she's, she's right on top of it. She's got, I, I love that you called it a Mary Poppins bag because that is in my notes as well. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I loved it. And I love that it shows, you know, Harry and Ron are both brave. They can be as brave as they want. Um, but y- you need a thinker. And I, she, uh, she's carrying him along in that moment. I even liked in book five, when she's like trying to talk Harry out of going to the ministry, she's like, think about it. It's five o'clock. Like people are still there working or they're just leaving. How would Voldemort get inside? Why would Sirius be there? <laughs> like she's trying to like, please yeah. come down from your crazy and listen to logic. <laughs> we gotta go. I'm like, God, I hate him sometimes. <laughs> yeah, if she had been the chosen one, let's just say things would have uh, worked out very differently. <laughs> 
book one would have been the last book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's in the back of Quirrell's head. I found him. Now he's dead. <laughs> one chapter done. <laughs> so we find uh, them next in a small coffee shop. They're basically trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do since they have no real plan outside of find the Horcruxes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, a, a couple of men enter uh, in wearing these lovely coveralls and they walk up to the counter. Over Hermione's shoulder, Harry notices one of them uh, pull out a wand and a small duel breaks out, two against three here. We never learned in the film who these, or like how these Death Eaters found them in that coffee shop hundreds of miles away. Yes, and this was the first time I've ever noticed it. But I did skip back to make sure that they said his name. Yes. As a trigger. I, I ever noticed it. <laughs> but yeah, that's never explained. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought it was when Ron comes back. No, I don't it isn't. Think so. He never says that the name is taboo. I don't think so because they are caught by snatchers randomly. It's not that they accidentally say the name. Like it isn't. <laughs> oh, I was all proud of myself this time because I noticed Hermione said Voldemort. And then like yes. 30 seconds later they come in. So I was like, yeah. oh cool. We're just setting up the that's kind of a big all right never mind right <laughs> so any squibs listening in the books the reason they're able to find them is that Voldemort puts a taboo on his name and so basically anytime anybody says it instead of referring to him as the dark lord or he who must not be named or you know who um he's it, it's like the trace essentially he's able to find who that person is and and go to them immediately and so when Voldemort or when Hermione, excuse me, says Voldemort uh, during this scene. That's how these Death Eaters are, are able to trace them uh, there. Instead, no we are just forced to believe that these Death Eaters are randomly in the West End and sure. saw them. And maybe they caught a show. They were seeing Blue Man Group. Uh, <laughs> we all need a, a little escape sometimes, especially when we're out uh, murdering. Anyway, was uh, Blue Band Group around in the 90s? Yeah, that show's been around yeah. for like 50 years. Ew. Um, not 50, that's an <laughs> exaggeration. But regardless, yes, it's been around for a minute. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the trio manages to stun both Death Eaters, and Hermione tells the single worker in the place to piss off, and it's glorious. Because <laughs> <laughs> this poor coffee shop attendant comes out and is horrified and Hermione's just like, get the fuck out! Yeah, <laughs> leave! I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> They're formed in 1987. Sorry, I had to look. Uh, yeah, see, I told you. But yeah, Hermione, it's a very like, <laughs> I think Hermione looks just crazy enough. The girl's like, okay. <laughs> just not gonna question it. Okay, bye. Yeah, it's good shit. The trio closed the shop and wiped the Death Eaters' memories. To cover their tracks. Uh, here we see Roll and Dolohov. I don't know if this is the same actor that I meant to look this up, and I'm sorry I did not. I don't know if this is the same actor that played Roll in the previous film, which, okay. whose I, name is like jumping out of my name, uh, out of my head right now. Uh, Half Blood Prince. Sorry. Uh, no, I definitely wrote. <laughs> he was in the tower. I said sure he was because we didn't. We had masks on these people. <laughs> I said so. Now we've cast this person. 
he was there you didn't know he was there he was there that night I'm like sure no I'm right Rem- I wasn't. remember when we recorded that episode we talked about that because I think it's supposed to be Yaxley that's up in the tower with them and for some reason they've swapped him out for roll mm-hmm. um nah I said sure Rel was sure he was yeah. <laughs> I just I said, told you he was so he was so he was there he was there you remember audience um I said Ron's a little bit creepy here did you have that thought it's a weird well, moment for him yeah okay Thoughts. and it, it's a it's a departure from the book I, I just went back and reread it uh this morning and uh in the book he he does sort of say that line um you know, they, hey, they would have killed us or they almost killed us. What should we do with them? Um, but when Harry says, no, it's better just to wipe their memories, the book says Ron was relieved. And that's oh. not the energy that he's giving off here. <laughs> I feel like in the book, too, and even the way you described it, it's a little panicky. Like, yeah. well, this is what they would have done to us instead of like, they would have killed us. We should kill them. For, for, what if it didn't matter? I'm like, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> it was a little worrying for me because he looked really like no let's right. fucking kill him and they're like and yeah. he's like okay i guess good idea I'm like a little murder energy from ron I, even his that. moment here where he's like hermione you're the best with spells and then he like wipes something off of her cheek or like it felt very a um, semi-aggressive boyfriend was like you could do a babe I'm like okay <laughs> it felt a little dom didn't yes. it like yes I was like, Ron, my goodness. <laughs> you can't like that. You can't like that. <laughs> we have to talk so about it. Anyway. We're back on the street. Uh, we're treated to this dumbass scene about not getting to celebrate Harry's birthday. I just, <sighs> I don't think Hermione would have, nor one, been fucking worried about a cake either at this point. Hermione is the one that got them no! out there. Not a, you know, not a second thought of, she didn't grab them and go, hold on, the one quick second. We made you a cake. Like, no, she got them the fuck out of there. She had their shit packed. By the way, I did like the details that they did keep in with the um, Mary Poppins bag where she goes, that, or she didn't say damn in this one, but she just goes, that'd be the books. When the books fell over, when she's getting their clothes out, but that, that was adorable. And then I like the little throwaway line too, but Ron, while they're sitting in the diner, he says, by the way, these jeans, not my favorite. Like, I like that that's, that we're still putting some humor into that bag as not just a prop of like, no, this just does whatever. It's, it's a cute, like, now there's planning into this, but no, Hermione's not fucking worried about a cake. She's not worried about a cake. No. Like, A, we, like, we did celebrate Harry's birthday and B, no, she's, she's not worried about that at all. Oh yeah. I celebrated the night before. In the book right yeah mrs weasley makes him a snitch cake and gives him yes. a watch that belonged to one of her brothers i think right yes it makes me cry every time she's like it's a little battered and he hugs her because he's just so happy he's like i hope i put everything in that hug i'm like i get anything with molly and harry i just i lose my shit <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah, a fucking we're all, angel. we're all midwestern moms at heart so that really hits <laughs> us right in the right in the junk Oh, she fed um, him and gave him a gift. I, I just want to say, kind of zooming out, that I really like, you know, the whole, the first six books, you kind of get the same setup. You know, there's a, the, you start on or around Harry's birthday and there's, there's something, there's a house elf, there are some dementors, there are, you know, there's something that um, brings some early action 
but it, the stakes are never too, too high. And then uh, Harry makes his way to school and you find a familiar rhythm. And this is sort of the transition where you find out that's not what's going to happen in this movie or book. Um, uh, it just, we're, we're on the road, we're throwing you right into it. And I think that's, it's kind of cool. It kind of sets it up how this is uh, differentiated. Oh yeah. I mean, they punch you right in the junk right away with the, like Hedwig dies and then uh, Moody dies. And it's like, Oh, we're, we're yeah. Yeah. There's we're literally living time. in a war zone here. Yeah. That's, Fuck you, Brock. <laughs> wow. <I'm> like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, now I'm going, I am. I'm putting it back in my head. I'm like, wait, Dobby? Okay, wait, Marge? Okay, wait, Dementors? Okay, wait, the Quidditch World Cup? Okay, and then they come get him to take him to Gribble. But oh, fuck you, Brock. You're right. <laughs> it is. It's always summer action. And now this is summer action, but we're not going back to Hogwarts. Yeah. Sorry, fuck you in the nicest way. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you in a, I didn't even think about that way. Oh, Sorry. Fuck you in the nicest way possible. <laughs> Say that with love. So the three of them come up with this brilliant idea of finding somewhere safe. Genius. Um, and we jump immediately over to Grimmauld Place and the trio make their way inside. I, this always felt like a weird choice to me. Like... The order didn't feel comfortable using it after the events of book five, but we're suddenly okay here. Well, Harry's now inherited it after the last, or sorry, after five, right? Right. So in book six, they had like the order abandoned that as a headquarters. And so it just sat empty for a year. Which my OCD ass was like, but they did all that cleaning. did all that cleaning and then just left it and now it got dusty again oh that's a bummer <laughs> the one thing I was um kind of wanting to which I would have liked better than because we have like a weird pause I'm trying to think where it was I don't know but I kind of liked with the diner scene too in the book they prop them up and they clean it up True. right they clean up the diner they clean up all the debris and shit and prop them back up yes. I kind of would have liked to see that scene so that like you're not left to believe that these two Death Eaters just wake up in a heap, not yeah. have any, any idea what happened. Right. <laughs> Instead of, I think in the book, the implication is that like they're seated in a booth and they both fell asleep or something like that. Right. I kind of would have liked to see that. Then again, back to my OCD ass, I like things getting cleaned up. <laughs> I, like the, <laughs> I like the scene with um, Dumbledore and Slughorn where they clean up the room. That, that just keeps making me think of, uh, I, I, maybe it's broader than the Midwest, but in the Midwest, at least you clean your house before you go on vacation, because the last yes. thing you want to do is come back to a dirty house. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And what this if you is have- something that our mothers made us do, Brock, <laughs> and is still instilled in me. Absolutely. Well, it just makes sense. You don't want to come home to a dirty house. So you're just like, you wouldn't want to come back to a blown up diner make sure it's yeah. cleaned up absolutely and a cleaned up grimmel place but anyway i'm gonna let that go <laughs> yes so the trio make their way inside they enter the their entry uh triggers this little booby track i guess um a hex we'll call it it sort of conjures a ghostly likeness of dumbledore from the dust and dirt on the ground that charges the three of them 
and explodes into a cloud as it reaches them. Um, I don't think that this quite packs the punch that the book description of it does. Like, aren't they like tongue locked or like tongue tied for a moment? And don't they like have to say, I didn't, um, kill, you. I didn't kill you uh, in order for like to disarm it? And it's supposed to look like Dumbledore's corpse, I thought. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this was just more like ghost Dumbledore. Yeah, ghosty, ghosty door. I did have a dumb moment when I first got up to the house, because I remember that's Harry's house. I said, welcome to my house, played in my head while they approached. (laughs) (laughs) So it is Harry's house now. It is. We don't learn that in the films, Uh, nor do we learn that uh, he is Creature's master. Hermione casts a little spell to detect any human presence inside the house, confirming that the three of them are alone. Honestly, I think this is a great writing choice. I don't always love the dialogue in the films. And even if this is really on the nose, but just the fact that it reinforces the fact that these three 17-year-olds against one of the most powerful wizards of all time, like like her, were alone line is just really... Apropos, let's call it. Tis. All right. That's the chunk. That's it. That's where that's 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 where it cuts off. That's Love where it. Andrea told me to stop. <laughs> I also feel like I liked um the diner scene a little bit too. I'm like, this is the first time I felt like this is like a movie action scene. It didn't feel little kid, it felt intense. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. It's a departure. Yeah, it was happening for sure. out in the real world. Yes. It wasn't Harry running alongside the top of a bus. It was, <laughs> it was serious. I liked it. Uh, with that, I have a couple of questions for you too. Please. Uh, what are you going to keep in your Mary Poppins bag? Basically, the the Mary Poppins bag. I'm going to. I mean <laughs> that that whole that whole sequence. Just her grabbing them and disapparating them out of there and being prepared for exactly what this moment when the other two had their heads spinning understandably um but the her character in that moment and and how it's some of her best qualities and it that that sequence is pretty darn faithful to the book as well um i really liked it yeah yeah hermione is the real hero of this series always fight me yep um mine was real petty (laughs) real simple i said i like the wedding I wish we got to. <laughs> I wish we. I wish we got to like live in the wedding a little bit more because it's so pretty. The aesthetic was pretty. The the tent was pretty. Like I wanted to kind of walk around the wedding some more, and we kind of did. We got like what a minute and a half of wedding. <laughs> Ministry has fallen. I'm like, oh, already. <laughs> Patty, what would you okay, keep? At least have a glass of champagne, please. I know. Can I see the refilling champagne, please? <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to keep Muriel's exposition down and call out because it's like it's crucial information and i want more i would have been the one sitting next to mira muriel and make, like refilling her glass like what was that you were saying about dumbledore <laughs> I'll, get up. I'll get it for you i'll get it for you <laughs> i could see that. keep talking there keep talking there uh that. what are you going to obliviate uh like the death eater on the floor uh, and get rid of from this junk um, I am going to get rid of the glowing ball Patronus. <laughs> I want it's supposed to be a cat. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch Archer at all, but one season of Archer, 
Mallory is like a glowing orb. They're in the future and it's, it's the show's off the wall, but um, that's what it made me think of is uh, Mallory Archer during that season. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's not that hard to make it a cat. I don't understand why it wouldn't be a cat. Was it a cat or a lynx or something? A lynx, yeah. A lynx. Oh, I'm mistaken. It's okay. Ah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Um, mine was also within the wedding. Mine was Xenophilius's close talking. You don't need to be that close. Don't be that close to me, you stinky, stinky man. Oh, but we had to shove the symbol in Harry's face. Quite literally, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Would you get yeah. rid of it? Obliviate, darling. Um, I'm gonna say dumbing Hermione down to the girl role of like, we didn't get to celebrate your birthday. I made you a cake. Like, no. It feels like a swing and a miss for me the same way that Ron had that really good ego check when Harry's marching out of the burrow and he's like, it's not about you, mate. Like, he's like talking him down, doing a really good thing. And then he's like, so the Horcruxes, where are they? Does How does that work? Like, like, it just goes right like, back oh to asking God, dumb questions. Oh, God, you did so well. Yes. <laughs> we had like a brief glimpse of good, intelligent Ron, and we took it away. And just like we had this really cool moment with Hermione where she got them the fuck out of there and had everything prepared. What a cake. I'm like, fuck you. Come on. Stop <laughs> it. Fuck you in a mean way. <laughs> fuck you in a mean way. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you in a mean way. That was a rude thing to do to Hermione. So, yeah. Okay, well, thank you again, Brock, for joining us. We're, uh, almost there thank you guys yeah you'll have me back i'd be happy to uh to come along for the eighth and final and we'll just all pretend that there have never been any other films beyond the eighth and final <laughs> i'm very down for that i'm very down for that but that's how no other the films podcast. no other broadway productions nothing uh this is it no uh no turf coming out of the uh out of the series in any way she performs we'll just live in this uh, uh oblivion it's great it's great uh-huh. can't wait we're gonna do that all right and all of you please follow us rate us review us wherever you get your podcast please follow us on the tiktok the youtube and the instagrams and Corey, i will see a little face next week see you there bye yeah it's glorious you may have seen the meme that uh oh it's like the question is, how do you tell your guests when it's time to go? And uh, the response was, in the Midwest, you just slap your knees and say, Welp, and, well, and the other Midwesterners <laughs> will take the hint. So accurate. Oh, it's so frustrating because it's so real. Well, but that will start the goodbye ritual. You won't actually get out True. of the house. That will oh, start right. it. The goodbye ritual is another hour long. You go to the front of the house. You maybe get outside of the house, but you'll keep talking <laughs> and get to the car in front of the house, but you keep talking. <laughs> oh, I miss it. <laughs>